This episode of the Lost King Podcast is brought to you by Rutger Hauer's Bicycle Shorts. Like tears in the rain. Gone, but not forgotten. Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of The Lasting Podcast. I'm yes. your co-host, Mr. Tafi. I'm uh, your other co-host, Eccentric Tom. I was about to say Shafiq. <laughs> you <laughs> want to call us a Shafiq? Yeah. <laughs> what are you? Is there a Scottish accent? Some sort of replicant? Well, and of course, this is me, the Nexus One himself, Dr. Shafiq. Nexus One. Like Nexus yeah. One, like the original model. The one that, you so, know, the buggy piece of shit. The buggy <laughs> piece of shit, you know, with all the firmware updates that just don't work. I guess that makes me the hardware I still have a USB port, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, Tom is the Wallace model, I'm probably the halfway Terrell model. I'm the Nexus 9, baby. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm going you. for 6 because 6 is such a nice number. And of course, <laughs> what are we talking about? We're definitely talking about Blade Runner 2049, the film that. Oh, that's dropped. what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. I thought we talking about statues of all things. I we talking about the iPhone. People are like, oh, going to be very confused. Are you talking about Google phones now? Nexus 6, Nexus 8? I only have a Nexus 2. Mm. Uh, but anyway, yes. Blade Runner dropped uh, the new film. By by Dennis Villeneuve, Villeneuve. <laughs> the guy who did Arrival and Prisoners <laughs> and he should have left and a long Sicario. time ago <laughs> uh, thank you Sicario yeah, Sicario was very good apparently you know, but the thing is okay. so this is his attempt at uh, taking the Ridley Scott franchise and doing something making, making a sequel not a reboot not a remake not a reiteration an actual sequel it's a sequel because elements from the first movie pop up in this for no reason whatsoever other than to further the but plot we are on. getting ahead of ourselves yes we are as yes. we know Blade Runner has been is a very very influential film back in the 1980s. We're talking about the original one, right? The, the original one. Because um, before we get into the th- sequel, we, we have, have to, to go back. The first yeah. one. So this is the Blade Runner spectacular that you all never asked for, but we're going to give it to you all anyway. Because we need to remind people that 1982 was an amazing year for film. <laughs> yeah, we were just doing some quick research about 1982 and holy shit, there were actually a bunch of pretty awesome so films. So much came out. Mm-hmm. Like, uh. E.T., The Thing, Tron, like holy shit Annie (laughs) the good Fournette movie the good Fournette movie yeah Yeah. sci-fi film of the year Daddy Warbox is an android you know (laughs) Uh, but okay of course um Blade Runner came to us 1982, directed by then visionary Ridley Scott. Now pretty much teetering Three on his brother suicides. Ridley three brother Scott. suicides. You know, like he lost two brothers. He still right? has some good ideas. The problem is when he revisits franchises, something iffy can happen. Which, which is something happen. we probably have to bring up because the thing is, he didn't direct the sequel. Then it's Villeneuve. Executive producer, which means busybody poking and saying, "Hey, you should do this." Hey, you should do this. Or this. basically, like, okay, we're gonna give you a shitload of money. Let us do this, and he's like, fine. Like, <laughs> here's money. Go sit over there, play with the crayons. Uh, fine. Here's my Nexus iPhone Covenant. No, stop it. Uh, he's probably just like. And here's the crazy part. When Blade Runner dropped in 1982, the theatrical version. Theatrical. Theatrical. Yes. There you go. <laughs> it, it was it kind of bombed. Kind of bomb it, fucking okay, bomb it. Flop, it flopped. Like, it, it was sucked. People yeah. review it. They said it was terrible. They had no frame of reference at the time. Exactly. Yeah, and that's one thing. But you have to understand, it was going up against juggernauts at the box office. You know, because like I said, Tron came out. Jesus. Which yeah. also bombs. Uh, you know, yeah, kind of. But uh, 
E.T. came out. Yeah, which which you have to copy against any. Like oh. Spielberg, just off of Jaws. There you go. And the thing is, like, and here we have uh, really Scott. And this is right after the success of Alien. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, he took a Star Wars actor, Harrison Ford, and this was supposed to be his launch pad. Like, mm-hmm. I would say Harrison Ford didn't really find footing until the 90s when he did all those Tom Clancy movies where he played Jack Ryan. Well, no, he had Indiana Jones. I mean, he had Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones was the late 80s thing, yeah. I mean, I would say this, like, later on, later on. Yeah. That was him escaping his more genre films you yeah. know what I mean like he didn't nobody really recognized him as a serious actor until not, not even the Jack Ryan films maybe even like The Fugitive when that came out and then regarding oh, that, Henry that took so long then like, yeah, that's like 96, 97 but like it was very obvious that for this film because of the success of Han Solo like putting him in the lead for Blade Runner like this movie by Ridley Scott and it's like okay, that was a bold move that was a, he was probably quite cheap at the time as well like, probably got, yeah, before he became Harrison Ford yeah, yeah. Yeah. grumpy old man and that's no. it like Star Wars oh I can carve shit there you go yeah. <laughs> now handsome roguish guy now playing asshole uh, noir detective mm. who does or doesn't know that he's not human oh okay that's the big little thing that it happened there so like okay for this first segment of the Last King podcast this special Blade Runner uh, extravaganza okay we're gonna dive deep into you know probably one of the most genre defining films of all yeah. time what made cultural milestone yep. mm-hmm. and also like you know dissected our own way because I mean the conversation about this movie has been had here and there and everywhere yeah. but this is our spin on it like, but the thing yeah. is like so maybe what we can do is uh, we go around the table and each one of us introduce the film how they were introduced to the film sorry and also probably you know me put yourself in that uh, f- that, that frame of mind when you first experienced it and uh, how it grew on you in a sense because I'm pretty sure it's the kind of movie that when you, you watch never it, like it the first time you never liked sure. it the first time yeah but at the same time it's like when you finally understand and you start to mature and your sensitivity and like you know your social thinking kicks in then you realize oh this movie is really important and of course uh, Mr. Toffee it's definitely you're going to be talking about all the influences yeah a lot of them that's just too many I mean like out. even like the thing is it was referencing like you know how Japan's gonna take over everything and then yeah. you see the Japanese people take Blade Runner and like run with that too mm, right exactly you know, yeah. so we're gonna have an amazing conversation about that uh, but firstly okay let's start with the youngest here <laughs> the uh, centric Tom how did you get introduced to Blade Runner just like most big ev- influential things in my life I was introduced to it through my father who I don't know when he watched it he never said but he just sat me down one day and we watched it together. And I was ooh, 15 at the time. I Literally think. like last week, right? Fuck you, But yeah, I mean, so about 10, 11 years ago, I think. And uh, we just sat down and we watched it. And I'll admit, I didn't fully get it at the time. And I mean, I knew what, what I was watching was important at the time. But I don't know whether it was because I was too young at the time to really appreciate it or because it was, like you said, the first time you don't fully get it, you need to watch a second time. It didn't fully permeate, but I could see the elements which I would see in later films, which I loved, and saw the direct influence. Mm. I mean, like the big temples of my generation, like The Matrix, or... Minority Report and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Or if we go slightly further and we talk about games like Mass Effect. Yeah. Like even though that was big conceptual sci-fi, you could see the influence of Blade Runner, namely in the sound design, in the music. Oh, the music especially. Uh, you know, yeah. the even like the smaller side quests, which were like you know the questions of what makes you human. You know, what's the the line between good AI and becoming new life? I'm pretty sure Mr. Toffee has a whole 
15 minutes to 20 minutes of him just gushing about how awesome Vangelis is, right? <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. We, we know very well it's good, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, if you want to talk about sound design, like, nobody heard this kind of music or this kind of sound design because pre-Blade Runner, it's all orchestra. It's yeah, all... Yeah. I mean, even licensed music felt new and fresh yeah. and, like, yeah. not really... You know, there was more grandiose kind of music back then, but when Vangelis did their work with Blade Runner, it was just... This is new... I don't know if I hate it a little bit, but I have to listen to it. That sort of before you figure out whether it fits. And thank God it fit with the film. Per like se. for me, like watching something world. like Blade Runner. I mean, I'm just talking about sound design, right? When I saw Blade Runner, it was this overwhelming sense of awe and majesty. Like yeah. because the thing is, right? That movie when I watched it, like I was really young when I watched it. You know, not that young. Sorry. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> that insert dad joke here. But here's the thing: it's like. What I do remember about watching Blade Runner was how intoxicating that score was. Yes. Like the chimes, like the, the notes, and also that, that weird eerie synthetic sound that just permeates throughout the entire yeah. film. And how it just like fills your like you know, your your head and your It's thinking. a very ethereal kind of like yeah, not quite of this world. Which mm. kinda makes you realise you're not in real life. But you're still there kind of I mean there are things mm. in like that era that's familiar in Blade Runner but it's like it's a completely it's, we know that's far flung into the future per yeah. se because that's the thing like, if, like here's one thing I want to really uh, like mention about Blade Runner because that movie was put together perfectly like Blade Runner is one of my favourite movies of all time you know right it's right up there with like Brazil and Godfather 2 wow and mm. Itchy the Killer random <laughs> but th- there you go but the thing is like Blade Runner is the, the film that when I watched it young I didn't understand it but it influenced me enough to want to understand it and the thing is I would try my best to like rewatch it because I remember watching it very randomly it was like one of those late night stay at home I had nothing to do and it just popped up on TV and I watched it and I was like this, this is a cool movie I'm like probably like 11 or like 12 and like I don't understand what's going on Mm -hmm. but this looks like nothing I've ever seen before like this vision of the future it's like so enthralling because you have to understand like when I was younger like my vision of the future was Star Trek or Star Wars and this was a dystopian dark and like menacing future where like uh, wow that this could happen to the planet earth you know what i mean and like the opening shot of just like you panning over like los angeles two years from now in 2019 <laughs> 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 i love how movies like this date itself immediately yeah it's like like 2019 flying cars oh it's, oh dear it's like yeah. Termi- terminator 2 1997 the world explodes oh really yeah. <laughs> i must have missed that yeah, yeah yeah is this gonna happen we just brushed it off really quick you know a little dust uh, yeah but, in, but, like, but well, we're in asia to be fair like you know whatever happened in la was like huh i mean but it's snowing for some reason but speaking of the asian influence it's very very cool to see like you know the first thing you see in blade runner as you're like panning across all these buildings is like all these japanese billboards and like yeah. oh we live in a world where all the cultures mix together now and like especially when you see like you know deckard played by mr harrison for himself mm-hmm. just ordering like udon noodles and having you know like, like uh like the noodle sellers just speaking to him in japanese and him understanding like that felt like cool to me you know i mean like star trek was basically we have translators but in this world i mean very similar to uh, star wars whereas like you speak one language i speak to you another language we still understand each other yeah. that is the future of communication right there where all the barriers have been broken we're all one unified tribe you know that's the, the amazing thing about blade runner to me because it's like it showed me a future that was possible like this doesn't feel fantasy this doesn't feel like imagination this is like yeah this could happen this is definitely where we're heading towards to but unfortunately of course two years getting flying cars eh, 
Not just the soundtrack, not just because the simple detective story which escalates. It's because every shot, every DOP, every way, every shot was framed was like great and influenced a lot of movies. It's like literally every frame of painting, right? Yeah, yeah. it's like a move. Okay, I won't. Okay, crazy. Okay, a moving painting in a bleak noir style per se. It's like every single shot you could just cut out from the real and just make it a poster and it'd yeah. be perfect especially the last fight you know with Rutger Howell's character but like, even yeah. afterwards like you the bit where he finally turns off and it's just like facing the rain yeah but like, how about it's just turned off that's just a beautiful pose and even the last few scenes before the credits hit everything mm-hmm. you know the, the unicorn and all that how about, but how are you Mr. Toffee like how were you introduced to this that's a very funny story because oh. I only saw this film in the late 90s 2000s period I saw Ghost of the Shell before I saw Blade Runner mind oh. you because at the time in the 80s, I was mostly into cartoons and maybe some... Like, heavy video. sci-fi wasn't on your heavy radar sci-fi yet. sci-fi wasn't on my radar at all. In fact, my introduction to sci-fi was, again, Star Trek, Star Wars, because it was more... The uh, essentials. Friendly, yeah. And Ghost in the Shell, for some reason. That actually popped up, you know? Because it would make sense for, like, an anime fan to watch Blade Runner and realize, oh, so this is where they stole all those ideas from. <laughs> yes, because here's the thing. When I saw Blade Runner through friends who actually had the VHS at the time, I know, okay, I know VCD came out around the late 90s, but I still had VHS at the time. Well, yeah. no, I had VHS and until like 2006. Yeah, so we saw that, rewinded back and forth because the tape was kind of broken, and it was like, huh, this looks kind of like Ghost in the Shell. This came out before Ghost in the Shell, my friend told me. I was like, and this huh. like, is where my mind was blown. Like, when did Akira come out? Uh, Akira was 88, 89 so like that, the was manga. also influenced by Blade Runner? Yes, it was Possibly, it definitely was, it was. Because the thing is like A lot of Japanese animators Artists, game designers Look at Blade Runner like That! I want to do that You know, that's what the future and is And because of the power of animation They can do everything high scale Up to scale and whatnot. Like they can actually make it feel Like a believable world Rather than like really Without spending too much Like yeah. for me <laughs> Like the, the perfect uh, Blade Runner Influenced anime Is still like Cowboy Bebop about the guy who has to hunt down other guys and it like, is still framed as a noir kind of tale exactly it's, it's a detective yeah. story but, but with flying kind of cars and kung fu as well. and kung fu yeah. and random geomancy huh? and a corgi <laughs> thank <What>? you <laughs> you always need a corgi you always need corgis make everything better corgis yeah. would make alien like better Guess, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's yeah. But uh, that's another thing. Cor- Corgi would make Coin and the Barbarian better, actually. But yeah, everything, <laughs> everything from like Blade Runner, all the shots, the, the noir scenes, the dialogue between Rachel and Deckard and Rutger Hauer, and even the creator as well, when they confronted, uh, what's that? Uh, Mr. Perel himself. Yes, himself. Before accent came in, that was fucking hell. Everything was insane. I mean, like, my favorite character in the entire show was basically the Edward James almost character with that faux Japanese. Like, it's like, when you see him, it's like, that's what the future speak sounds like. We mix all the languages. Mm. So here we have, obviously, like a Hispanic Latino guy speaking really stilted Japanese, but he he pulled it off so perfectly. And so at the same time, I was like, you know, I mean, when you watch something like Star Wars, it's like, it feels like fantasy. You know, and you watch something like Star Trek, this is definitely fantasy or some imagination or some far f- far-flung ideal. You see Blade Runner, like, yeah, this is what this is where we're heading towards. So you like it because it sounds kind of like Singlish 
in 10 years time. <laughs> I mean, Singlish is literally an amalgamation of so many languages. Yeah. And then like, if you go to any country, like even in England, like, yeah, like everybody mixes everything in. Like, because English is basically what German and French and... Yeah, and one day we have a lot of West African and like East Indies mixed in. So I mean, but it's also... I've noticed that our conversation has been clearly towards the movie's aesthetics and maybe a little bit about the story per se. But when you think about it, I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking the film at all, but its story is definitely not the highlight at all for me. It's, it's, I mean, it's more atmosphere, it's yeah. It's a road, atmosphere, direct, yes. it's a road uh, detective movie. Like, it's got a lot of big uh, intellectual things. That we ponder outside the film, per se, because is, of the dialogue. If you look at it, it's a pretty road detective story. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. I mean, it's like a slightly dumbed-down LA Confidential in many regards. But we have to understand this came out in the 80s and True. the noir genre had pretty much died out like in the black and white era. Like, mm. this is basically, you know, like uh, their version of, you know, this is the modern Humphrey Bogart story. Yeah. yeah. With, you know, the, with the femme fatale in Only Rachel. new and fresh at the time because, again, you don't blend in sci-fi and noir that often anyway, right? That's, yeah. That's a fresh part. And that's why yeah. it felt so new and so refreshing and so groundbreaking and why so many people misunderstood it when it came out. Because I'm pretty sure when people went to see Blade Runner, with a title like Blade Runner, that sounds so badass. Mm-hmm. And it turns out to be a very patient and very like slow moving film mm. like and this gun runner sounds stupid when you think about it <laughs> no because the original title probably was the, what's the original do uh, androids dream of it no no, no, no uh, what the, no, the blade runner wasn't even in the the novel was it not it was, it, it was something else it was it was an invention that oh. they added which just sounded cool and you also have to understand is like you know people were kind of expecting another star wars because harrison ford is in this yes so the expectations were, were pretty so displaced they, they were thinking like it's going to be an epic science fiction science fiction police story set in the future with all these like uh, you know with the the themes of you know people who are not really people and then when they watch it and it turns out to be this giant philosophical kind of existential movie and like I'm pretty sure the cocaine smoking kids of the 80s really wasn't expecting that at all cocaine smoking <laughs> yeah crack snorting you oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go uh, snorting yes I'm pretty sure yuppies didn't watch Blade Runner maybe they did uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, case, I was Ro- Robocop, so I assume it's not that far a stretch. They were probably like thinking, like, I know that guy, the guy who got shot up in the boardroom. Uh, yeah. But okay, that's Robocop. Mm-hmm. But Robocop, another amazing movie that came out only a few years later. But also at the same time, um, okay, uh, let's also delve deep into the conversation about Blade Runner that took more than a decade and like was only f- re- not say recently confirmed, but finally confirmed. Because the thing about Blade Runner, right, like a lot of great movies, it, it had a very ambiguous ending. Yeah. And it had very ambiguous, uh, like a plot hole or plot point. Implications, I think. And implications, yeah. Lots of implications. And the thing is, like, that's what I loved about the first movie because it was just so full of, like, subtle, like, uh, subtext and nuance. Mm. And, like, you know, the conversation that occurred, you know, what made this such a cult film, like, what all the nerds were arguing, was Deckard a replicant? And yeah, it's 2017. Ridley Scott himself has come out and said, yeah, he's a replicant. But it was like the kind of movie that was divisive among the fans of it, not amongst like, you know, the general audience. And it's like, I mean, to you guys, like, did that affect you or the way you viewed pop culture? Because basically for me, like when I figured out he was a replicant before it became the kind of conversation, like when the internet exploded and then we could all share our ideas and like we can all have this conversation. It's like, I was... To me, I felt like a goddamn... Like, I figured out... I cracked the code. He is a replicant. I knew before, like, you know, it was official. And it's like... And when it was made official, to me, it was like... 
such a moment like wow maybe i should really pay attention to films because i have a certain eye or a certain way of viewing things but maybe you guys like how important was that conversation i didn't even realize it was confirmed until you told me i thought it was still kind of an open-ended question oh yeah but unfortunately the film in the worst way confirmed it after watching it i think five times it's like the director's cut the director's cut confirmed it not the director not the final cut the final cut i think re recolored it in a way Whereas I think I saw the final cut, which is why I wasn't hundred percent sure. Did it have the American voiceover, like when mm. like uh, Deckard was just talking to himself during the quiet scenes? I think that's the U.S. Uh, theatrical release, which everybody hates. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I see that one. Don't don't avoid it all. Yeah, costs. I can't remember which cut I, sh- I saw, but it wasn't hundred percent sure. I don't think I saw the Unicorn Dream, so I didn't see like. Yeah, so that was the director's cut because, like, I think maybe for a ten or twenty year anniversary, they re-released Blade Runner on DVD, and then it, it had that scene of like seven seconds of just the unicorn running across like the the glade when like Deckard was playing the piano and daydreaming, and it's like that was that uh, to me it felt like really Scott going like fuck you yeah here there it is there's the confirmation. I think uh, maybe I did see it, but again I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago, and. Mm. I just can't remember because I've seen so many movies which have which have borrowed so heavily from its like uh, image library kind of mm. that it kind of bleeds in a bit. I'm kind of perplexed as well with this to to the point where if this movie was supposed to be like timeless per se, why did they have to do so many versions like like what we've already done three re- iterations? Right, the, the thing is though, like right? the, the first theatrical cut because of it being a box office bomb. Like I mean, they had to re-release it because. I hate to say this American audiences are dumb mm. they, they didn't get it so like they had to have like Harrison Ford come back in and do like voiceover and like if you see the, the US version which is horrible because the thing is Harrison Ford himself was like adamant and like no we don't need to explain things you know and then when you see him read the lines like it's literally like him flying in his car and there I was going towards this location and he was doing it in the most sarcastic fuck you way possible which added this the very s- Harrison Ford the more, and this is before he went see now <laughs> this is before the weed really <laughs> before close the floor cart sirs no but like the that is there's a version of that that exists and everybody hates that version because I'm talking more like the first version of it before yeah the so monologue, and then you jump to the final no sorry so you jump to the directors I mean the there's four cut. cuts so yeah. like what I'm trying to explain is the first theatrical release you know because it was cut for cinema time yeah, yeah. so like it was very hard to explain things so there was another cut which is basically with the voiceover for the US audiences or I mean the thing is I, I never got, saw it until I bought like the that amazing box set that came out in the 90s where I had all the four cuts and mm-hmm. I saw the differences and then there was the third cut which is with the added unicorn scene which everybody was like what's this about and like it ties in with the ending dummies and then there's the final cut because the thing is uh, the third cut was the problem was with the color where it like people were complaining that because it was like being retransferred to VHS or DVD or whatever that it looked too bright or muddy mm-hmm. and then like the final cut is like they finally fixed like the the, the color correction of the, to bring back the, 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 that lovely lush darkness that was like necessary to tell this kind of noir story. So, I mean, like, it's all, it's, it's not like a George Lucas thing where he has to retell the story. He only did that once or twice, you know, but it wasn't like gonna break the movie at all. So, like, Final Cut is definitely the superior version. If you have, if none of you have seen Blade Runner, look for the Final Cut. Try to avoid all the others. I mean, Director's Cut is still pretty good, but I think Final Cut is definitely the one which you definitely need to I would to say, do. like, if you want to watch the theatrical cut as, like, an artifact of pop culture, like, as something that this is how it was first released, just for you to compare, like, that would make sense. But you also have to understand, like, this was a studio cut. This was basically them, like, removing scenes so that it could of fit course. within the slot. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not the 
the only time that's happened to Ridley Scott, like, remember Kingdom of Heaven, when it, the first theatrical release? Remember the original Alien, when they cut out the weird Alien walk scene? Like, that but didn't work. That was, that was a good decision. Yeah, that was a good decision. Yeah, but... Apparently, like, the Kingdom of Heaven, the... The director's cut was better. The, I've seen the director's, the director's cut. It's actually a really good... It explains uh, things way it's better. It's a good yeah. medieval epic. Mm. Because they add a bit more of the motivation and the history behind it. Because it's actually a really fascinating part of history. It's just, you know, the theatrical cut just makes it look like a watered-down gladiator. Yeah. With none of the emotional um, impacts. But the thing is, uh, you also have to understand, this came out after Gladiator, so there was yeah. definitely a thirst from the, like modern audiences. We want another kind of movie, so like it was probably yeah. It's probably it's like exactly why like all these tween movies came out after Harry Potter. Yeah, you need to ride that wave when it happens. So, but I mean, Blade Runner created a wave that nobody rode on until Japan decided to do their yeah, version. and then they they were just fully influenced, as you can tell from shows like uh, yeah, of course, obviously. A Ghost in the Shell, Ghost in the Shell. There's a lot more like Dirty Pair, everything else basically. Like, even, you you see something like Bubblegum Crisis. Like, yes, you, you, there you, go. you can see Blade Apple Runner influence. Yeah, Apple, Apple Seed, yeah. definitely. And like, pff, I mean, uh, but the other main thing I think we can see the influence from is video games. Definitely, especially yeah. with Deus Ex. Oh, that's clearly that's clearly a Blade Runner wannabe. Yeah. I mean, Snatcher, which is note for note, Blade Runner done by Kojima. Hideo Kojima himself. Yeah. Before he was batshit crazy when he was just crazy. <laughs> you know, it was just mildly insane. He kind of wanted to make movies, so I thought ah, I'll do it on video games. So we got a pretty cool uh, Blade Runner ripoff homage thing, where your hair, your Deckard Kane is basically a bit of a perv. In snatches. Mm, I didn't really see that back then. But was, maybe I was too young. He to was hitting on every girl in the damn game, right? So yeah. his ex-wife, including. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it was pretty funny. I mean, pretty funny and cute to watch, you know, per se. So if you haven't played snatches, try your best to find it. It's a good blade. If you can get the Sega CD snatch. version, you know. But I think that's with the for, English acting. That's a small Ooh. fortune on eBay now. Apparently, snatcher on Sega CD. Yeah. Uh, but okay, uh, probably let's talk about also the performances of the original movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, like for me, standout character besides Edward James, almost. I'm gonna talk about this is the Rutger Hauer. Goddamn Rutger Hauer! Yeah. This was his moment. Like he, before that, he was only appearing in like uh, Dutch movies with Paul Verhoeven, like Spetters and mm. Tur- Turkish Delight. I mean, like he would later go on to do movies like Salute to the Jugger, and I mean he's like the perfect bad guy. The perfect, ass, the perfect blue-eyed, white-haired, scary guy. I mean, which he does too to much aplomb in, like, uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I totally like, forgot he, about that. He's, yeah. he's still got it, you know? Yeah. And, like, the one thing about, like, Rutger Hauer is, like, did you know that he wrote his own lines? Really? Yeah, he ad-libbed that... Uh, the Tears in the, tears in the Rain monologue was his idea. I he believe it was ad-libbed. Guy, yeah. He was when? in his trailer writing it, then he showed it to Ridley Scott. I want to say this, and Ridley was like, go ahead. Uh, is English his first language? No, he's Dutch. So that's amazing. Yeah, there you go. You know, I mean, that's the so thing. I, I'm imagining the words in Dutch. It doesn't quite work as well. No, but like that, that beautiful poetry coming out of this replica, and who was his presence and everything. Yeah. I mean, like you have to understand, he he was walking around for the later half of the movie, nothing but bicycle shorts, and that was scary still, man. Yeah. You know, and like you know, just having his head smash through that wall is like. Okay, this guy is. I mean, like we've seen the Terminator, and this is like slightly better than the Terminator. No, we've seen the Shining, and that was no, no, no. There you no, go. The Shining came out on that time too, right? Mm. Yeah. Better, I think. Better, I think. Yeah, no, but I mean, it was a great like you know that that whole cat and mouse like uh ending was. It was a perfect way to cap off the film because the thing is, there was a payoff. Like people complained about how slow and how it was paced like pretty lengthily. 
but no once it reaches towards the end and it just ramps up exponentially and with yeah. the Vangelis score pumping in the background and just like seeing how Rutger Hauer's character realizes like oh he's a replicant too so there's really no point killing him because he's gonna die one day yeah and like that's the beauty of it because it's like I mean that why I brought up the conversation whether Decker was a replicant or not I mean if you really paid attention you would have seen all the clues straight away especially even like the slightest things like you know how replicants their eyes kind of like glow a little bit yeah and like Decker's eyes also glow a little bit you know, that, those clues were put in place on purpose it was not accidental maybe it was maybe production po- problems I don't know but it's like you know like the story does its best to give you enough and it allows you to take with it uh, and like and interpret everything it everything else is focused on the style the visuals and the, and the, that's the thing. And that's the, ca- that's the, 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 the icing on the cake you know like you have this really solid you know base and then you have this um, immaculate visuals immaculate uh, like a beautiful audio design and you know like Sean Young in her prime woof mm, yeah. foxy <laughs> you, know, you know 80s hair withstanding but yeah there you go you know poor thing well the 80s were a different time like you know you can't blame anyone for that but they made for a very iconic poster shot as well as a nice uh, trailer you know her hair and everything with a cigarette and whatnot. Mm. Which they fucking had to bring back for the second movie, which I have to complain about. But no, that's for the next segment. That's for part two. But I mean, okay, so Blade Runner in itself, I mean, we all recognize the cultural importance of it. Mm. So, but uh, the conversation I want to have also right now is like, this movie came out and like the, the rhetoric right now is basically, you don't need to watch the first one. Just watch the new one, which I think is like, you know, marketing speak. Like, yeah, okay. No, but what do you guys think? Is the first one now like non-essential viewing according to all the marketing? I would, I would say no. I mean, even without the fact that there is a sequel out there, I think it's still if you do like science fiction and you're not brave enough to do 2001, this is required viewing. If you want, to I agree. Really it is required viewing. I see it as, a, as an anime fan or someone who just likes sci-fi films. You need to at least see. Yeah, you need to at least see Blade Runner first. Final cut, of course, to yeah. make sure to see how where this all came from. So because there were studios who weren't brave enough to do this until this movie came out. I mean, shit, even if you enjoyed The Matrix and want to see where it got it kind of its ideas from, yeah. watch Blade Runner because it deals with what makes you human. You know, what the stylistic use like. as well and everything. Yeah, it's. I think it is if you want to go beyond just a skin level view of what sci-fi is. You have to watch it. I mean, and try yeah. To understand it. I mean, like, especially if you're like a, a guy who's trying to go into heavy sci-fi. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna recommend you Soylent Green. I'm not gonna recommend you like other movies. Like, like, but this is like, if you can appreciate Blade Runner, then there are other movies out there that you will love. Like, Children of Men will be a good example. Oh, absolutely. Or like yeah. Dark City. Like, okay, this Blade Runner is the starting point. You can, then you can move on to this. You know, because it's not all just Star Trek, Star Wars. Yeah. You know, there is heavy science fiction out there. Yeah, which with will a appear. very distinctive visual flair that's all set after 82 and whatnot I mean like more importantly like what I want to also bring up like what Toffee said just now if you want to see what influenced the influencer yeah there you go start here start here yeah Yeah. so we're gonna wrap up this segment okay our tribute to the original Blade Runner a fantastic a masterpiece of a movie for me Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna go right into 2049 woo Oh yeah. God. Blade Runner 2049 Gosling Harder Okay Stay tuned
And we're back! Alright, so we've talked a lot about Blade Runner as influences. Now let's get to the nitty-gritty of this episode. You know, we kind of also forgot to mention that Blade Runner influenced White Zombies more human than human song. Oh really? my god! Jeez. The first line is, I am the Nexus one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to. That's, the, that's, that's, okay. that's the title, More Human Than Human, which is the tagline of the Tyrell Corporation. I am ashamed of you. <laughs> God, bless, God bless Rob Zombie. Nah, I was going through my whole. Oh, you're my man, you're my yeah. Man. yeah, but it's like, no, God. Okay. I still remember Dracula more than More Human Than Human. You're, you're the next wave Rob Zombie yeah, fan. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, man, Astro Creep. That, that's, that's an album I can talk about forever. But talking about forever. Now, Blade Runner 2049 finally dropped 35 years in the making. Ryan Gosling is the new replicant du jour. And this is not a spoiler. It's the first five minutes of the movie. They make it clear he is a replicant. And he knows it. And yeah. he acts like one. Or I think that makes sense uh, for the fact that he can stare blankly into space. Uh, he, Which he does as Ryan Gosling, basically. <laughs> he's playing his character from Drive. <laughs> or any but less autistic, I guess. He's basically... As a robot, he's less autistic than the guy from Drive. <laughs> I mean, it's basically... I'm pretty sure that the director saw him in all those, like, Nicholas Wending... Like, Place Burn the Pines and... and God Forgives. And they're like, oh yeah, he's the perfect and guy. And Neon Demon, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he's the perfect guy to play a replicant because mm-hmm. look at how he just perfectly stares blankly. But <laughs> well, he has perfected too much like per a se. stare. But I kind of get him being that cipher of like that. What the hell is he questioning his humanity? What is CI girlfriend and shit? I think know? it's yeah. more the fact that oh, right Something off like right off his La La Land appearance, like yeah, we gotta like milk the Ryan Gosling cash cow while we still have Ryan Gosling as a thing. Yeah. I mean, even though like he does have comedic chops, we, I mean we love the other guys. I mean, yeah. nice guys, nice guys. Other guys, oh, that's the Mark Wahlberg shit fest. He was right? also nice in, guys. Um, Half Nelson. Yeah, I loved him in Half Nelson actually. Yeah, but of course we're not gonna talk about the Notebook, right? No, no. We'll say that but for the, another but, but, episode. But, but the direction for him is like, okay, just be like the robot Deckard Kane, except you've already spoiled that for the first five minutes. I mean, and but try to struggle with humanity, with your own existence and whatnot. So I kind of felt that the way he acted in this one, obviously, still the whole Ryan Gosling serious shit going on, it actually worked to it to that favor because you actually see more in his eyes and more in his face and more of his actions and whatnot than anything else per se. Hmm. Again, yeah. Cypher has to follow the whole Cypher rule. Like. You gotta have that one guy to lead you on to all these different locations in I mean, I would New have... Angeles, whatever the hell they call it nowadays. I think it was just yeah. called California. Okay, yeah, California. California. In a garbage fire, literally. 2049, you know, look at fracking. It's it's a thing. No, is, but I would say this, like, like, Ryan Gosling, like, he did what he had to do. Yeah. And, like, he is, to me, I mean, like, having him as the protagonist uh, didn't really... I, I wouldn't say it didn't really work, but it didn't really add to anything. Like he, I cu- you could replace him with other actors, and it would probably be the he same movie. He could be movie. any thirty-something actor of recent. The, the hot, the hot actor at the time. I mean, like you could replace him with Chris Pine or Chris Evans, and like it's the same movie. Yeah, are any of the four. I'd probably be giggling more worked. in film, to be honest. If Chris Although, Pine actually, I think it. Chris Pratt wouldn't have been a good fit because he's just too charismatic. He's too. He's too nice. Yeah. He's too. He's too pretty. Yeah. <laughs> he played a better bad guy in. Um, in Blade Runner 2049 and anything. Oh, yeah. Now, you, now you're giving me ideas. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, one of my complaints about this movie is, like, you know, the guy who replaces Tyrell, Deander Wallace. 
played very letoishly by Jared Leto. So I think he's on his league I of exploring. I think you mean Academy Award winning. Fresh off Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. Now you're getting it. I mean, like, I love the fact that you mentioned Suicide Squad because, like, the whole like conversation about that film was basically how Jared Leto felt like he wasn't up in. In Suicide Squad enough, he was in there for like two minutes and change. Exactly in full makeup, but and here we have him like finding the perfect like way. Fifteen thirty minutes worth of screen time was it? Uh, there you go. He but had five minutes of dialogue over fifteen minutes worth of action. Talk about chewing the scenery, you know, and like. But I did oh. like that bit where he was actually inspecting the replicant. But oh, sorry, synth, right? They call it Skinners, skin whatever. whatever. Skin jobs, skinheads? I don't know. I think it's meant to be a derogatory term for replicants. Yeah, skin okay. jobs, yeah. Skin jobs, okay. Yeah. But like, he was just examining it and sees an imperfection, cuts it down, like, without a care in the world. It's like, the big thing is that he's blind, I think it's meant to be the implication, but he has those robots which... To help him see. see. Yeah. So, like, so you're not blind, you're just... Clouded, I guess. Clouded. I mean, he's just like, okay, so, he wants to create the perfect vision, and he wants to do so without eyes. I guess I don't. There's some metaphoric thing going on like with this you can, you can character, I guess. You can tell he saw Rutger Hauer's uh, speech at the end of the first one and said, "I want to do that, but my own spin." And, and we got that. Yeah, it's like, I can tell he's trying to go for the god complex um, genius. Which is a trope unto itself. It is yeah. a trope unto itself, and it's like art imitating life. He never <laughs> felt menacing. He always felt like pretentious. He felt like if that's Zuckerberg, the word right there. Yeah. If Zuckerberg had slightly too much money. Mm. He, and as a result, I guess we could hate him because of that. So. But no, it's like it's not even like Eisenberg's uh, portrayal of Zuckerberg in Social Network. Mm. It's just like, okay, fine, like you do your thing. Like there's never a feel of. I am at all threatened by this individual. I mean, like my problem with Jared Leto's performance is because uh, freaking Oscar Isaac did it way better in Ex Machina. Ex Machina, yeah. Because yes. like that's how you're supposed to do it, you know. Because if you're supposed to be the soulless, but yet still kind of charismatic, yet still in your own reality, kind of like you know a super genius who can like you know recreate life. Like hey, that's how you do it. And it, I'm pretty sure Leto is aware of that performance. And but then, that is still a context of Ex Machina's like. I think it's set in the modern day thing. Which is also directly influenced by Blade Runner. Let's just admit <laughs> that too. You know, but I would say this, right? Jared Leto's performance was like, yeah, stop chewing the scenery. We know you want to be in this movie for as long as possible. Like, you are one of the many subplots that this movie's bogged down with anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that he's chewing the scenery. Meanwhile, he's sharing it with Harrison Ford. Who doesn't give a fuck anymore? The king, <laughs> the king of scenery chewing doing nothing at all has more of a presence than he does <laughs> like just being there like as the high comes down from whatever session he was in like what the fuck am I doing <laughs> am I here that's Let's a Harrison Ford yes <laughs> sounds a lot like Christian Bale's Batman oh uh, yeah still a gruffy grumpy he's playing himself basically like, in the Blade like Runner a, film uh, what's going on no no am I still in the scene Somebody say cut. No, 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 no. But okay, okay. Do you want to bring up the fact that they had to drag his sorry ass back into this film? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Deckard's back. Deckard's back, and here's the here's the dumb thing. In the the most unnecessary reveal of all time, coming out of the chair, the, the coming out of the shadows, like, oh, would you like some cheese with that? It's like, yeah, yeah, we know Deckard's in this film. Why did he have to have him emerge from the shadows? You know what I mean? Like the way they set up that entire shot, it like felt to me like what? Was, what, what? what was with the cheese reference? Was that in the first Blade Runner? I have no idea, sir. No, no it wasn't. The first that was film. that was like the most weird thing. Like, do you ha- you want to have some cheese on you? It's like, 
So you just talk about how dogs love cheese? Was this? What is this? The fucking borrowers. I think it's it's just Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford. I think it's Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford. He's just okay. gonna say whatever line he wants to say. So and was it just feeling of going? Fuck it, fine. <laughs> that that's a good enough tip. It's really hard to work with. Yeah. <laughs> you think about it. I think that's yeah. It's legendary that nowadays he's at that point where he doesn't get care anymore. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, oh, what? There's so many things I want to complain about. Like, let's just straight away go ahead and say our initial impressions of this film. Did you guys like it? Yes, I actually like it. But but don't get me wrong. I probably have to rewatch it again to see it just to confirm that. But at this point in time, You're I still... actually appreciate what it did as an expensive fan film sequel I, to the first. I think that's not really a compliment, though. No, no, it's, it's a compliment in a way because some fan films actually do this source material. But this is a hundred fifty million dollar fan film, man. Which is still pretty alright in a sense. That's just modern filmmaking. You just yeah. described it. It's fan film. I mean, honestly, that Alien vs Predator fan film I saw back in the two thousand. Seven or eight. On Which YouTube one? The first one. I think it was about Batman for some reason. Oh no, that, that was yeah. actually pretty good. <laughs> but hey, you like the, yeah. you like the last big fan fan film, uh, Force Awakens, or Mortal Kombat, uh, the one before. It also had a actually Michael Jolie little white as well. In it the too. best fan film of all time is still Rogue One. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know yeah. where you go. But here's the thing: as a fan film, the first thing you have to do is you have to respect the original source material. It did. And I create. Think it no, it, it doesn't. Did. For Deckard, for everything else, probably. But I have my major complaint is like what they did with the Deckard character and the Rachel character, which was unnecessary. For Deckard, the character and Rachel, I agree. It kind of was such a left left turn from what it was I'm still but, on the fence on that but, but in terms of the world building which I feel like was more important like yeah. you know yeah, Blade Runner was like the most important character was the world which they created yeah, okay. and we have discussed in the previous segment that Blade Runner succeeds on the visual and atmospheric level and per se I the new one more so no no the, the old Blade Runner yeah, the old I think one. the new We've one already the set new one that in stone. does succeed in being a realistic successor to what that world was. And arguably a cleaner cut because what Wallace Corporation did with the revolution and they did, they actually made the future a bit more clean, a bit more, again, his style per se. And, they, and also with some grimy bits here and there, of course. And they have that, like, you know, uh, get out jail free card when there was, like, the blackout they mentioned, mm-hmm. where for 10 days all data was wiped. So yeah, but that's very lazy writing to it's, me. It's lazy, but I feel like that's more the fault of the scriptwriter, not from the art direction and the overall direction of the it's movie. It's your story, let them do whatever the fuck they wanted it. I honestly. feel like the yeah. elements, which was Denis Villeneuve's uh, touch, which was, like, you know, creating the shot and making the world, he did very well. Script-wise, maybe it wasn't as tight as it could be, but that was not him. That was someone else. I was. Uh, who was the scriptwriter on this? It wasn't it was two by guys. It was. I can't remember. Which is not a good thing when you have two guys. If writing. there's more than one person, that's where you go. Mm. So something's th- up. Yeah. I mean, not even just something's up because it's like one guy wrote it, one guy tightened it, and then like when it, when it comes to tightening, it's like studio interference immediately evident. Right. Also, there. Sony was the one who distributed it, and they've had a bad run this year of things that they're I mean, kind they, of informed. yeah I would say that too like, so they're hoping show. yeah they're hoping for this one to be like the 
the Phoenix rising out of the shadow kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm to survive sure. Ghost in the Shell, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. And Ghostbusters that. last year. We there you go. The thing is that it's all been basically remakes of beloved franchises. But this is more of a sequel than an actual remake. Again, fan. I, my my but argument. It, it feels like a remake because it's been so long since the first one. I mean, I don't think so. Well. I would this, put it in this. To call it a remake is more like okay, yes, you're gonna have your throwbacks, but that sequels do that nowadays. I mean, we've mentioned this in. Kingsman. No, but the thing is, it's yeah. not. I would say a real sequel would be. An, an idea or a story that doesn't tangent off from something original and like if you take 20 years to make a sequel let's look at all the like the, the 20 years too late sequels which is like Clerks 2 or like even Trainspotting 2 is like alright yeah you, you're cashing in on a beloved franchise not because you want to tell another story immediately because you built this universe I but guess because so. yeah, yeah. It, I mean that's the one thing like I came in to Blade Runner 2049 ready to hate because the thing is, I'm such a fan of the original, but at the same time, like something about this that's so insincere. I kind of came into Blade Runner two hundred four nine with no expectations whatsoever yeah, because too. I know nothing's gonna top the first Blade Runner in terms of visual. I mean, like and I, character I, development. I, I totally understand that because the thing is, right? I I can't be fair to some some films. You know what I mean? I I if of you course, the if, legacy if, if you follow. want to do this, do it properly. And the thing is, what disappointed me the most it was basically Denis Villeneuve just putting his stamp on things rather than telling a coherent or co- cohesive story in the first place. Because the one thing about Blade Runner 2049 that really like, you know, got on my nerves was how convoluted and how there's so many subplots going on at the same time. Whereas like the original one, yeah, I'm not going to compare like apples to oranges. That, that's literally what I feel about mm. this. Blade Runner was a really tight, it was, it was really tight. constrained. This one was a bit more I, spread out. Yeah. But I feel like that is who Villeneuve is. I, guess I so. can what? actually follow what's going on per se. What I meant by re-watching earlier on was like, maybe there are some nuances that could lead on to something else that mm. I kind of missed on, like how they look or how they winked or whatnot. Or like, but for me, the main problem is because like, there is no nuance in this film. It's like, everything has to be explained to you, which added to the, the running time. Yeah. Which also like... Ooh, yes. I think I know what you're referring to. Like, the yeah. part where the callback to the previous dialogue. Yeah. You could have edited that out, You honestly. didn't need any of that. But, and that's the thing, like, this... Like, okay. I mean, I don't... Like I said, I don't want to compare this to the, the previous one. Extremely unfair. But unfortunately, you decided to put that in the title. So, that's going to happen. You know, if you're going to be in that universe, you have to, like, stay true to the source material in some aspects. So, one thing I really hated was, like, how, okay, original Deckard, he's lonely, okay? He's a a replicant who doesn't know he's a replicant, and he's trying to deal with some sort of existential crisis, or he's an asshole, and we can't figure that out. But then, like, for, like, Ryan Gosling's character, when they gave him the AI girlfriend... He's just lonely. He's just literally lonely. And it's like, like every... 20-something Japanese guy right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Shout out to the weebs out there listening to us. Uh, I mean, oh god. I mean, there's a, there's but that's also another thing that the movies brought up, brings up as well. Like, can... If robots feel love for other AIs, is that considered true love per se or is that considered... No, but that's not that's like the, the argument they're having. In, in a way, in a way, yes. But that's, not but the, that's also like two different personalities talking and also loving each other despite that. So we kind of want to give that gravitas towards the payoff that K, I Ryan Gosling's character gets at the end. Actually, I think especially when that hooker speaks to Ryan Gosling, the hologramic hooker at the end. I think that that actually paid off quite well. Yeah, it lead out from that. Yes. No matter how special you think your relationship is, there are hundreds of thousands just like you. Yeah, and why did you pick this particular woman in this little box thing? I'm sorry, 
stick thing? Like, you know, the emanator. Yeah, the emanator. Thank you. Thank How you. does that work? You yeah, know, I, is she gonna appear everywhere now? <laughs> no, this is this is within the area. Basically, that was just an yeah. excuse to say you don't need to be constrained by that weird like whirly gig thing in your apartment anymore. Yeah. It's like I just don't want to have to ha- explain that where we have our next scene together. Uh, which I it was again, I don't need, we don't need concrete I mean you don't need thorough explanation I already get that that thing is a hologram in your pocket so no, but that. here's the thing like that entire subplot about him trying to understand relationships and love with another AI character if you took that out this movie would have been streamlined so much I, no I don't think so no, it's I unnecessary that, that is still there just to give a human element to a fucking robot of all things you know I but that's what we don't need anymore that's what I'm trying to say because the thing is the why don't we just focus on Tyrell creating people and trying to achieve perfection and how Ryan Gosling him as himself I think you mean, uh, I think you mean the Wallace stuff I mean my bad Tyrell it's exactly the same fucking thing uh, whatever yeah but uh, like, the thing is like okay Ryan Gosling like, Tyrell for millennials you think we about it <laughs> we, we don't need another replicant having an existential crisis that has been already you know we said whatever we need to say in the first movie can we just have Ryan Gosling Okay, like I'm a replicant. I know I'm a replicant. The way I act, the way I sound, the way I talk, the way I do things. You know, I know I have a shelf life. I know. Uh, there's all these questions that all the other characters are throwing to- towards him. You know, his skin job, and then he's like not reacting because he knows I am designed and built for a purpose. This is my duty. This is what I gotta do. So I wanted that to stay throughout. I didn't need him to have his human arc, because like the more human than human arc, right? That's well, what you're nah, up. even so, it's like the thing is like I would like. I prefer to have him just be that like the opposite of Deckard where he doesn't care about humanity or relationships or emotions or feelings he's like I'm a robot I'm just designed to do this thing and he leads us through this world where all these other characters which they are just going to fit into the movie anyway they tell that story and he reacts to it in a way that he is the cipher as mm-hmm. you said mm-hmm. and we are the audience uh, viewing everything through his eyes and like how would we react to this and if Ryan Gosling that, that, that didn't have that whole thing we could have seen more of the world or we could have seen more of what's going on at Wallace Corporation or at the police station and then like that's more like something that you wish they could have done but yeah, what we got I mean, so far again maybe Tom is onto something that maybe it's not a true like, it's more like part a remake and more of a sequel because of that revisiting those themes again yeah and to be honest the way they presented it here and that despite the fact that Blade Runner 1 exists, I'm actually fine with this kind of story. At least, you can see another replicant go through the same motions, but in a more different context. But in a more obvious way. Thing. That's what I'm also yeah. complaining about. It's like it's, Maybe that's not so bad having something obvious. I think... But not in a Blade Runner show, because the thing is, you're losing nuance immediately. Because Blade Runner, for me, is still a visual... It's more of a... I, I, okay, a style over substance sort of thing through and through. But this say. is style over substance in general, all it over is, the place. And I agree. And the thing is that if they did cut out his relationship with that woman, the first part where he fights those weird scrap heap people... Like he Hobos. Hobos. Yeah. <laughs> with a shotgun. Hobos <laughs> with a kite, apparently. Yeah. But like, if they cut her out, yeah, we would have had a more streamlined story. But the story wasn't strong enough for that to be worthwhile. Yeah. So I feel like... But I kind of want to see more struggles. That's why I kind of felt I, a bit more sad that he died at the I, end, no, you know? I agree with you. That I, adds on. I'm happy that they had all of that extra fluff, as it were, because I felt like it made the world more exciting to live in. We yeah. saw more examples of what this new world was. There's more to Blade Runner than yeah. just that part of it, the story, uh, Los Angeles. The story suffered, but 
I didn't necessarily mind because I enjoyed being in this world, kind of. The world building, basically. Yeah. In a sense. And. But I mean, okay. I mean, why I brought this up is like, did you feel the wrong t- the runtime? It took a long yes. That one we can time. run. We can work with that. I mean, like, it what? took an hour and a half before we met Deckard. Yeah. Who's and on I the poster? That, and I yeah. felt that the soundtrack. Definitely not gonna talk Vangelis. It actually did keep me awake because of Oh, it was so annoying. I hated all the dubstep the drops. Scene, the, the, the market scene place when uh, Kay was having his noodles. Yeah, that was very distracting. Especially. I don't know. I really, really like the sound design. Okay. I, I'm not saying it's bad. Don't get me wrong. But it can get a bit obnoxious at times but I think, for me. I think that was the point. This is meant to be a world where you're not meant to enjoy being in this world. Like, kind of reminding you despite yeah, the visual treats you get because the ecosystem has collapsed we all live in this shitty capitalist corporate world where you can't sleep because their adverts flood by being yeah. into your window it's meant to be a world where you can't sleep where you can't have peace where you're just constantly being shaken no, that's one p- part of the design I enjoyed you know but basically how they managed to really manifest and that world I the feel glossiness like the sound, and the ugliness the sound also. really helped buy in like you're not allowed to relax kind of like, reminding you about anytime, the claustrophobic feel yeah, anytime you're, in a, you're, wake, you're like you're really just relaxing and calming down it says wake up you're not allowed to yeah. because you're literally falling asleep watching this movie <laughs> <laughs> for some for some light in the film yeah. Yeah. I would say this it's, it's a slight reminder yeah, but like, it's a slight reminder it's I'm not a pleasant future despite how sleek everything but Wallace shows you you know I'm, I'm agreeing with Tom on the aspect that you need to make this world seem very uh, chaotic or very like you know it's, slightly disturbing it's jarring yeah. right? it's, it, that's exactly the word I want to use it's jarring and that's where the sound design I feel like yes it's annoying yes it you know like kind of makes you like but that's why it's so damn good because it really makes the world complete it still has its good moments like with uh, the hooker and um, the AI and Gosling together uh, K, Agent K yeah I think actually the best example and also when it was talking to the giant ass hologramic the best example of the sound design was in the casino when they're fighting in but it works for an action sequence it works for an action sequence but I feel like oh yes yes but I feel like that was just an example of how good this director is with marrying sounds to action and to world building but kind of know what he's doing he definitely knows what he's doing per se which is why he made that soundtrack the way it is but my flip side to that is like basically when you say it's meant to be jarring or in like these certain sequences especially the action sequence and for you the other way is the market sequence right like this is a bit obnoxious right to me like when the dubstep drop happens during a conversation it's like you know like, oh did you come alone no there's people out there then wong like why why i think that's more like the horn blaring not so much dubstep something like, like, else like no and then it's like that ridiculous like why does this sound need to be here right now like, you know what I mean like that was the more uncomfortable settling I, I guess, that they want to put in I mean like say. maybe there's a certain like maybe he's trying to like add some syncopation to it where because it, it, the beats happen unexpectedly but there are moments where it's like okay this is totally unnecessary yeah, having this but yeah, I felt that if they actually just copied Vangelis it just will feel uh, more like uh, a rip off that's the thing I didn't, yeah. I didn't want him to copy Vangelis but I just wanted him to be a bit more subtle <laughs> like okay I get it you know like the thing is it's punchy if it happens unexpectedly but if I'm sitting throughout the entire movie expecting like okay when is the drop gonna happen there it is like uh, I don't know in this day and age for big world. films like, subtlety I mean, kind of gets no, thrown out when I'm not saying subtle throughout I'm just saying like you can't do this constantly it loses its punch the third time you do it 
I don't feel it that way. I, I mean, every punch that came to me, especially in the desert, I guess it's a desert scene, a toxic I mean, I scene. Can, Which desert? <laughs> there was a few deserts. I, I can understand where you're coming from. I mean, I don't feel the same way, but I can see how that would detract from you. Yeah. But it's just that, I don't know, maybe because my entire recent cinema going experience has been dominated by fucking dubstep drops. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> is that I maybe it didn't grate on me as much. Is mm. that because I'm maybe I'm just used to it, like some kind of I don't know, better housewife or something. But the thing is like I like the way they did it in Arrival because the thing is it ramped up in mm. a really nice way. Whereas in like Blade Runner it just kind of happens at the, the most awkward moments sometimes. I feel like it was a deliberate design choice to evocate a certain feeling in this world paranoia basically like he's trying well. to make you aware that you're not meant to want to be here that even you know someone like deandra wallace who is extremely wealthy and can live a life of luxury isn't 100 percent comfortable with the world he's in because he is reliant on technology to not be disabled and so used to it to a point where cutting up Reploids, uh, same deal. Yeah. Reploids. Sorry. Uh, replicants. 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 <laughs> I'm thinking Mega Man now. Oh my yeah. god. I mean, okay. The thing is, like, besides the sound design, uh, okay, I do appreciate the visuals a lot. Okay? The color palette is gorgeous. Insane, man. It is fucking. I insane. love it, but the thing is, as I said before, I'm not being precious about the original Blade Runner, but a bit too pink and purple for me in some situations. But I get it. He wants to do his own thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's enough where you could definitely tell where they were changing. Where, like, yeah. You know, Funnily enough, where there was life was very dark and mm. like gritty. Where it was meant to be empty and dead, it was vibrant and red. Which is like a weird like switching of yeah. what you normally expect from these kind of movies. That's a lovely looking desert when you think about it. It was a gorgeous <laughs> desert. Yeah. yeah, but you could have cut those scenes a little bit tighter, boys and girls. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole thing about these. Uh, this movie actually just taking his time with his panning shots and all that. Because again, just want to just set the mood. And that's what Blade Runner did anyway in the first film. No, so. but the, 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 people complain that the first Blade Runner took its time. This movie is nearly three hours long, sir. It could have been tighter. <laughs> could have been tightened, yes. It could have yes. been in a lot of but places. But those panning shots, definitely you can set the but mood I per se. I kind of like that. I think it's just a new wave of these kind of directors. Like, um, I mean, like, to me, it felt like chapter bookends where he needs to remind you, okay, something else is happening now. Let's like you know fill the scene with just this yeah. lush vista. And like, okay. I mean, it's like The, Rev- the Revenant. Which oh yes, thank you. The Revenant yeah, is full of these long shots of the vista, which are gorgeous, but they go on for so long. I mean, it's like you spend five minutes looking at. A tree but here's the thing about the Revenant. The Revenant was shot with a very specific camera, which gives you this weird fisheye around the corners, especially yeah. when they do like those close-ups with the the actors. So like, there is a very specific need for like those. Uh, I mean those vistas and those like uh, landscape shots to take that long. It's for your eyes to adjust. Like, you see something like Blade yeah, Runner. Just when you really relax, uh, the music comes in. And then like you see something like Blade Runner, like okay, we look at this car slowly go across this desert or slowly go across the ocean. It's like we get it. He's in the desert. He's in the ocean. Can we get to like the, the rest of the story now? I mean, like, and the thing is, like, when you have that with the obnoxious, another, another way to throw back, another way as a throwback to the first film, anyway. The first the film concept. didn't last that long, okay? But it was there, and they were all practical effects. Now that they have CGI, oh wow, they can just take their time. But the CGI was solid enough. Where it was solid. It was again, except for CGI Sean Young, which okay, is that one is that one we can all agree. Oh, yeah. Sean I Young was a bit. I off. think that was the point because it's meant to be not 
quite real. I think that was th- what they were trying to. No, no, but then again, you have old Harrison Ford. Yeah, and like when you put them two together, it's like it's super. Jar- I mean, and you got the rest of the replicants and whatnot walking around in the mean, film and everything. I mean, selling the sleekness. If anything, that's one thing I really want to bring up. Like, what really like drove me insane about this film, right? Was basically how they brought those characters back. How they brought back uh, Deckard and Rachel. In a way, it's like oh. Guess what? Tyrell made Rachel. And we know why she's so special. She can reproduce. And like, so Deckard is the one replicant who can also reproduce. So he's got a working testicle set. But they decide to make him a detective. And he has to impregnate Sean Young. And of course, we have to get uh, Deckard and her in the same room somehow. And somehow they have to fall in love. But they're replicants. They don't know how to fall in love. And that's the problem I have throughout the third act is like, Wait, what? It's yeah. It just starts to fall under the weight of like, and the thing is of, of whatever the first film built. No, it's up. nothing to do with the first film. It's like it's already been established in the Blade Runner universe that these replicants are meant to only last a certain uh, amount of time. They have a lifespan. They do one function. They're like uh, combat replicants. They're uh, prostitutes. Pleasure replicants. They're detective replicants. They're repl- replicants killing other replicants. But they have a lifespan. Okay, and that's the beauty of Edward James. Almost like so was Terrell purposely making wounds for. Why would he want to do that? <laughs> no, but that's it's not the thing. Fuck, I guess. No, but the, the, that's the thing is, it's not like something that is established in the original universe. For it to be a true sequel, you have to like use the same rules, tell a different story. Kind of begs the question. That that's what yeah, I but, like about the series. But it kind of keeps everything open ended. No, that's say. the problem. It's so fucking tacked on. It's like, oh, well, how do we get Harrison Ford and like you know Rachel to come back? Uh. Yeah, a miracle happened. A replicant gave birth. Oh, this philosophical thing. It you didn't. Yeah, with a different sort of replicant. You didn't need to bring those two back. You could have said like, "We've made a new replicant." It was pure fan service. I agree. And the thing so is, so you'd be less angry if there were other replicants. If it was a completely different replicant, not Rachel, yeah, anyone else, it would have been still stupid. But it would have made more sense. I mean, it's like basically yes. how Jimmy Olsen appears in Batman vs Superman. It's like, oh hey, it's Jimmy Olsen, and, boom, and right, we're, right. we're gonna ruin this character for you forever. It's like, what? Why? Why? You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, you have this cavalcade of all these actors coming in. Jared Leto, Batista. Uh, he's in the poster. No, he's not right. Mm-hmm. No, but like that's the thing. It's like when you fuck with the canon, or when you like try to tell your own story and feel clever by like ha 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 look at how I incorporated these guys and I did this then it opens up more question and answers you know like, to me it felt like watching clone Ripley you know in like Alien Resurrection like what what is the point of this so and the thing is right you can literally see Harrison Ford not give a fuck about the character he's there he's like yeah it's a paycheck I've, I've paid a, a pretty penny to appear in this movie you know and like why and what's your purpose here and like, how do we explain replicants aging how come you haven't died yet aren't you all supposed to have a lifespan oh, apparently I'm the special semen producing replicant that they can impregnate <laughs> uh, apparently weird uh, Sean Young replicant and yeah and like that's the start of the revolution like okay yeah, there was actually a bunch of robots hiding on the and like that's the plot point and I, I guess with later ones they got rid of the failsafe where they only had four years because they're meant to be less human they did explain it in the intro, like the Terrell replicants are rogues, apparently. I guess they're meant to just, they last longer, but they're more easy to spot, so it's easier to kind of like get rid of them if they get too uppity. But that's the thing, it's like, it's like why are you doing this? <laughs> why, why do you need to mess with that? Leave that alone. I mean, to me, Black otherwise Red- we might end up with a retread. Because that's the thing is, so it doesn't need to be a retread. Tell a different story, stay in that universe. It's like the, the problem I have with Blade Runner 2049 is it felt like Matrix 2. 
You just ruined Matrix 1, Matrix 2. What are you doing? Leave it alone. Tell something else. Go further. You know what I mean? Like, when you say, like, an amazing fan film, Rogue One, perfect example. Leave all that shit out. Tell your own story in the same universe. Use the same rules so you don't annoy or piss off or, like, make the previous entry feel like, okay, so now this is stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that, that's the main problem I have with Blade Runner 2049. Watching it, it felt like, I don't want to be reminded of the first film. I want to give this film a chance. But, oh, here you are throwing the first film references at me. Edward James almost himself makes a comeback. Like, all right. No, not really short one. Not doing the same accent, which already breaks, like, the, like, the immersion all of a sudden. Like, okay, fine. Okay, if you wanted Harrison Ford to come back and be, like, some sort of mental character, I was a, a replicant hunter just like you. I am always the best because I'm still alive. Like, all right, okay, that's cool. Okay, now, bye. Go. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. he's there in the scenes. Him and Jared Leto, seeing him not give a fuck where Jared Leto just hams it up, he's like, okay, this is too painful and to watch. And then the final fight scene where he's drowning in that cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh. It's like kind of calm at one point and then the next time, <laughs> oh, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. You know, when it's close with him, he's like struggling and then when it's a white show, he's just kind of like just sitting there like... He's yeah. confused like, why, why is this cat filling with water? Why am I in this shot? You know? Yeah. One thing... Uh, I, the action bits in the film... One thing I did want to mention, which... I'm very glad they did because they were really hinting that Gosling was going to be the child. Like, that was clever. Yeah, I'll, that I'll, was I'll give that. I'll give that. Really pushing that, and eventually went, "Oh, you thought I was you? No, 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 no! You just happen to have those memories. You're yeah, still yeah. just replicating." I mean, I love the line where like the artist puts a bit of himself in the art. So yeah. like, okay, that was clever. Yeah. So like, I didn't mind that. I would have. Preferred. And there was a hint anyway, like the two different like boy girl, the replicants. That, yeah. uh, that that is the only you know? part of Ryan Gosling's character that I would focus on. Like leave out all the boyfriend girlfriend bullshit because that didn't really pay off perfectly. Yeah. But the him thinking that oh wait, am I possibly the key to all of this? That was fine. That would have been a solid two hours. Everybody's happy. Don't really. I mean, you didn't need to make Decker and Rachel be the parents of this one. Okay, that will yeah. definitely anger a lot of fans, but. I I felt that okay it's a store point but it did not ruin the movie at all for me for I you think, or now i think it's just modern filmmaking needs to have these kind of ties yeah you need to reference which the is it's annoying but because so many other films which i've given a pass to have done it yeah. I, it's a studio I, thing unfortunately i can't be hard on a film for having to make that kind of concession I can't be hard on a film, but the thing is, I'll be hard on Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Okay, fine. You know fair what I mean? Enough, this enough. is not Ghostbusters. Agree or disagree? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. It's not Alien. You know, it's like oh, we bring Ripley back. Why? Because Ripley is the character. So huh? I think we should do our final. I'll wrap up. I'll wrap up. Final thoughts and uh, score. It's definitely not a perfect film. That's for sure. No. But definitely gonna top. Not gonna top the original Blade Runner, but it's still. A good movie on its on that merit per se. Visuals, simple story. Somehow there are a lot of plot holes that you have to think a about. Lot of plot holes there in there. So many plot holes. Yeah, but, but I enjoyed my experience of it. Love how everything felt. Ryan Gosling, the female Terminator as well. That was pretty badass. Oh God, <laughs> she was obnoxious. Yeah, but I think that was. And the soundtrack also helped as oh, well. Like that line was Ending is something a little different from Vangelis. Oh. I mean, yeah. I guess that contrast per se. I'm the best. What? <laughs> yeah, that was a bit weird. That's yeah. stupid. Yeah, Replicants shouldn't feel pride. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. So More human than human, I guess. That whole thing. Human human. Well, okay, how much? What's your rating? That's a tough one. I mean, I'm still gonna give it a seven. I mean, okay. Seven out. Like 10. a just pass. Good. No, no. Just pass would be like five or six, but seven. I, I, there are a lot of things I like. 
probably need to watch it a lot more per se to see whether it holds up after a year or so later. But everything about it actually made me feel good. Wish the long r- runtime was a little shorter though. <laughs> so, I was really angry when I was watching this movie, and I was still able to have a good time. Hmm. So after that, eight out of ten. It's nice. It's a point. A solid B for you? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of problems with this movie. I will not defend everything about it. There's a lot of things that could have been better. The story could have been tighter. Certain character choices could have been better. But the muse, the sound design. I know that you have your problems with it, but for me, it was damn near perfect for what the film was trying to be. The art palette. It's just. It was an experience which I came out thinking about afterwards, so it has to be that high score for me. That's a good score. Yeah, yeah. and to come crashing down. <laughs> well, you know, like the me, one bringing the Metacritic score down. Uh, the guy keeping it real over here, you know, <laughs> actual Blade Runner fan. I'm sorry, but uh, here's the thing: is like, no, much like Tom's story, this movie took its time <laughs> <laughs> to get to somewhere with a lot of things happening in between. Which you know, why is just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good story I enjoyed the story I totally forgot yeah. what happened too just like this film so like, I would say for Blade Runner 2049 I will give it 2 out of 49 <laughs> nah it's, it's it's visually A plus you know like it looks pretty uh, sound design uh, C it's close to a D story fucking F no 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 don't like you could have done something else why 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 do you need to retread nobody wants to retread we want another Blade Runner story you know that's the thing studios adapt don't retread that's what I'm yeah. trying to say take it and run with it like you know the difference between Aliens and Aliens 2 he took the ball and ran with it his way ah that's how you do it you know what I mean Terminator 1 Terminator 2 that's how you do a sequel take what exists ramp it up don't reach for the past and think you know how we could have done this better if Deckard had a working reproductive system <laughs> that's the problem so Last King fans I didn't really like Blade Runner okay I didn't hate it you know I, there's movies I hate but there's so many problems with this and if I stack it up against the original I learned to hate it even more uh, but you know tell us what you think uh, do you think I'm wrong do you think these guys are right do you think nobody cares about Blade Runner anymore follow us on our social media okay at Last King Podcast come find us talk to us season 3 full effect Woo-hoo! we are definitely gonna go on this train of pop culture and hopefully come crashing down so this is of course a crashing talk- down in style crashing in a blaze of glory down, a, down a golden circle so <laughs> waving our cowboy hats and nuclear bomb drops uh, there you go so okay this is Dr. Shafi this has been Eccentric Tom. And this is Mr. Toffee signing out. More Bye-bye. human than human. More human than human.